The Guardian. He would kick ass and he has. I'm Allegra Stratton, this is Politics Weekly, and we'll be looking at how Anglo American relations are surviving now President Obama has forced BP to pay up. An apology this week to the families of the bloody Sunday dead. Will it be enough for Northern Ireland? And it's that time of year when politicians get to wear bow ties. George Osborne last night made his maiden speech. We'll look at that and preview next Tuesday's budget. With me to do all of this, I'm joined by three political obsessives. We have Tom Happold, Jackie Ashley and in our Westminster office, Michael White. Hello to you all. Hello. First, we're going to go across the pond to some not very comfortable scenes in the Oval Office of the White House. Already, this oil spill is the worst environmental disaster America has ever faced. And unlike an earthquake or a hurricane, it's not a single event that does its damage in a matter of minutes or days. The millions of gallons of oil that have spilled into the Gulf of Mexico are more like an epidemic, one that we will be fighting for months and even years. But make no mistake, we will fight this spill with everything we've got for as long as it takes. We will make BP pay for the damage their company has caused. And we will do whatever is necessary to help the Gulf Coast and its people recover from this tragedy. That was the sound of Obama kicking the proverbial. Mike, um, it's, it's these kind of events that make or break leaders. How is he managing? He's sounding tough now, but it's some two months after, after the spill started, isn't it? Yeah, he's in a, a fairly difficult place uh, in a part of the country where he's not particularly popular. Uh, he didn't seize it at the beginning. BP uh, underestimated the scale of the problem. Its reaction was inadequate. Tony Hayward appearing on American television with the kind of British cool uh, annoyed American voters. And he has the enormous opportunist, unrooted and pretty shameless opportunism of the Republican Party, which has problems of its own at the moment. Uh, um, ignoring all their calls for drill baby drill as the Guardian's editorial reminds uh, readers this morning and uh, saying this is disgraceful and we must have more government intervention and we must uh, you know, get every penny, penny we can off BP just as in fairness they did to a domestic company Goldman Sachs towards the end of the banking crisis they've got deep pockets these bankers and these large corporations and uh, the public mood is very hostile to them all especially if it's foreign. I'm not one of the people who think that the use of the word British petroleum is just a coincidence. Everybody calls it BP these days. They don't mind a bit of foreigner bashing. Who does? Jackie, does the, does the um, prospect of a midterm battering for Obama in November have anything to do with his sudden uh, alacrity? I think undoubtedly it does. I think he was getting quite a kicking for seeming to be very slow off the mark when this first started. Uh, and while, of course, BP must do its bit, there are big questions raised as to why wasn't government doing any more? Where was the US Navy? How difficult is it to plug a hole, people keep saying in America? Um, and so I think it's, it's a fairly shameless piece of uh, let's pass the buck, let's get everybody anti-British. If you remember the Piper Alpha disaster, however many years ago that was, that was an American firm, Occidental, in charge, 160 people people odd killed. Did we get to bash the Americans then? No, we didn't. So I think this is rather unfair to blame it all on the poor old Brits. And also there's Halliburton involved. Transocean and all these other companies. Um, Tom, that clip we just heard of Obama, I mean, it was not rhetorical flourish, was it? It was not particularly good. Well, you know, the problem for him at the moment is that the whole situation plays into people's concerns about him, is that he's very cerebral, but not somebody of action. 
and part of his problem isn't and it may just be the reality of the situation is that he doesn't seem to be able to do anything about the actual leak itself you know so he's he's not doing anything about that but he is therefore talking about compensation all those things and being very tough on on bp the whole question of the republicans attack on him you know they did want more drilling in the united states Obama you know, wanted more drilling though true true ago. but you know no more no more no more and so that the question is, you know, whether it is a problem with government. The other question is whether there was enough regulation of that industry yeah. and enough regulation of the piping and the drilling. M- Mike? Um, effective, reg- effective regulation. There's plenty of uh, regulation, but the, uh, the guys who run regulation of deep uh, offshore drilling in the U.S. are thought to be in the pockets of the uh, producers. And uh, when the other producers went to Capitol Hill this week and tried to blame it on BP, the congressmen weren't having it. And they, one of them had the candor to admit that, you know, we wouldn't have done any better, frankly. But the larger question is, can Obama, you know, Professor Obama, as he is, use this occasion? to make Americans realise there's a limit to how much we can, uh, at enormous risk, this is difficult to plug this hole because it's so deep in the water, at enormous risk go deeper and the environmental costs are uh, obvious uh, now and uh, we can't go on doing it forever. It's the opportunity to go green, but he hasn't felt politically strong enough to make that case. He didn't do it in the Oval Office this week. Mike, there, there have been American commentators who are saying this is the ultimate proof of the futility of the idea of big government. Does, does it have a sort of wider philosophical conclusion about what he's tried to do over the last however long he's been in power? not very long, two years. Well, you know, the, 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 the battle between uh, those who say small government is always better, uh, Ronald Reagan used to say, you know, the most terrifying sentence in the English-American language was, uh, you know, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. Well, it's a good joke, <laughs> but it's, it's demonstrably not true. And just as the Daily Mail every day uh, demands the government to get off our back on one page and on the next page demands that the government do something to minimise risk to children or whatever it is uh, at the moment, there's a fundamental contradiction uh, and, and attention. Uh, there's right on both sides, but, you know, we at The Guardian, we tend to think governments on balance a good thing and has a proper role and an extensive role, and uh, we're not going to change our mind, are we, team? Uh, I think it's quite interesting and it's put David Cameron in a very difficult situation because as the new Prime Minister, he's obviously desperately keen to uh, get in there with Obama, maybe even capture a little bit of Obama's original stardust, isn't he? And yet he's now being urged very strongly to stand up for Britain. And so I think we're getting slightly mixed messages from David Cameron as what does he think? Is he uh, going to slag off BP, whose PR, it has to be said, has been terrible? Or is he going to tell Obama to, to lay off the Brits? And he's really struggling to find his voice on this. And uh, as Mike was saying about the green issues in America, I think it'd be a great chance for David Cameron to uh, try to persuade some of his fellow Tories who are not so keen on his green agenda that maybe this is a time to actually be focusing a little bit more on that. But so far, I think he's failed to take the initiative on this as well. Well, we're going to move on. On Thursday afternoon, BP boss Tony Hayward was being grilled by Congress. You can follow all of that and every aspect of this developing story at guardian.co.uk. Back in the UK, Cameron won plaudits when he made an apology for an event that happened 38 years ago when he was five years old. Here he is presenting to MPs the findings of the Savile Report into the British Army's behaviour in Derry in 72. Mr Speaker, these are shocking conclusions to read and shocking words to have to say. But, Mr Speaker, you do not defend the British Army by defending the indefensible. We do not honour all those who have served with such distinction in keeping the peace and upholding the rule of law in Northern Ireland 
by hiding from the truth. So there is no point in trying to soften or equivocate what is in this report. It is clear from the Tribunal's authoritative conclusions that the events of Bloody Sunday were in no way justified. I know that some people wonder whether nearly 40 years on from an event, a Prime Minister needs to issue an apology. For someone of my generation, Bloody Sunday and the early 1970s are something we feel we have learnt about rather than lived through. But what happened should never, ever have happened. The families of those who died should not have had to live with the pain and the hurt of that day and with a lifetime of loss. Some members of our armed forces acted wrongly. The government is ultimately responsible for the conduct of the armed forces and for that, on behalf of the government, indeed on behalf of our country, I am deeply sorry. Tom, were you taken aback by his choice of language? I thought he just judged it brilliantly. And I found the whole day extraordinary, partly because, you know, there'd been so much criticism of the, of the Savile Inquiry, the amount of money they'd spent, the length of time it had taken, the fact that it seemed to sort of be years behind the rest of events in Northern Ireland and the peace process. But when, when you listen to Cameron and you watch the TV pictures of the people in Derry listening to what he said and then saw the families get on the platform and talk about the family, one, I, I, I found it incredibly moving you know, it was an actual public event that, you know, I did feel there was something going on there. It wasn't all show. It wasn't all. And, you know, to make a sort of Westminster point, you know, if, if a rather sad news junkies like myself who watched the 10 o'clock news and then turned over to Newsnight and watched the, the Labour leadership contenders, one did slowly think, oh, my God, you know, the comparison of them. And it's slightly difficult for, format in comparison with Cameron, who was just... He was Blair-esque. I think it was his Princess Princess Diana moment, wasn't it? And yet it wasn't written by Alistair Campbell. I think it was a real sign of Cameron finding his voice and finding the right voice. You couldn't imagine Gordon Brown delivering something like that. Probably not even Tony Blair. There would have been a hint of sort of showbizy theatricality about what Blair might have done. But it's interesting. And one wonders who advised him to do that or was it straight from the heart? It sounded pretty much straight from the heart. But I thought... uh, Full master camera on that. You can't fault him. Mike, I ambushed Tom just then um, because because I think there's a there was a possibility there could have been a difference in in reception of the remarks if you were in the chamber. What, how did you find them in the chamber? I know you, you were sitting behind me. Well, much as have been described by the uh, uh, the others, uh, I thought he judged it very well, and I was pleased because you know he's very inexperienced. He's uh, quite young you get used to saying that as you get older and you just thought this was a measure of good judgment and Cameron is interesting because he you know he rarely says anything really stupid uh, he's what I uh, sort of call emotionally intelligent he, he doesn't do dumbo things in the way that plenty of people we could think of and uh, there wasn't that sort of little flashy riff which I think Jackie mentioned you might have got from uh, Tony Blair although Blair could be very eloquent on occasions and I thought Jackie's Princess Di comparison was apt I thought of it too it was a moment when he told people in effect you know outside the Irish context this is going to be all right you know I'm uh, you know I'm in charge uh, and that's always a good moment of course because um, you know whether you vote of people or not you need them to be in charge you need them to be honest and you need them to be competent whether or not that le- question of Savile will resolve these tensions that today's letters in the Guardian are very bitter on both sides although yesterday I was struck by you know the widespread sense that Savile had 
said what had to be said and Cameron had made his uh, gesture which was so well received outside the Guildhall in Londonderry and that was probably going to be enough. I do worry about the prospect of prosecutions and demand for prosecutions because it only uh, uh, produces what John Hume, SDLP leader for many years, once called whataboutery. Once somebody says or does something, other people say, well what about? As that Colonel Wilford, the man who got blamed for all this, said, what about bloody Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Uh, from the other side and of course the statistics support that point Um, Mike for David Cameron this wasn't actually cost free politics was it because he has a group within his own party who served in Northern Ireland as soldiers didn't they Yes, I thought he got away with it. They weren't enthusiastic, but for a Conservative Prime Minister to say categorically the British Army has misbehaved um, is always going to be difficult. And there was a former serving soldier in Northern Ireland, I'm afraid I forget the MP's name, who you know, felt the need to raise Martin McGuinness's machine gun. Ben Wallace, thank you. Uh, although even the possession of the machine gun is disputed, I see. And, uh, and Cameron said, quite interesting, don't make for moral equivalence. Again, this was an intelligent answer. Don't make for moral equivalence between what terrorists do and what soldiers do. Soldiers are meant to be operating under the law, and that's a good answer. Jackie, do you think we'll see 12-year-long inquiries in the future? Cameron had words about that, didn't he? I don't think so. I I, I think I'm very glad this inquiry happened, but I think that there is a a general concern, isn't there, about the cost of all this and the duration of all this. And and in a way, we've got the apology, that's it, but you sort of think slightly, what now? And I think, as Mike is saying, one hopes it doesn't reopen a whole can of worms. I I happened to be in the the corridors of Westminster and Lord Tebbit was uh, strolling around, talking very angrily about, well, can we have an inquiry into the Brighton bomb? And I think, as Mike says, if we all start the what is, we'll have inquiries into everything. This was a huge, enormous and unique event, I think, and let's hope that's uh, that's Um, that. It's been apologised for properly and let's hope it sort of is laid to rest there. In fairness to Norman Tebbit, people may not remember his wife. He was injured and his wife was crippled Mm. in that attack. And he's uh, he's it's been said he said to people, you know, if the fellow who did that to me, if I'd known when he was coming out of prison, I'd have gone and shot him myself. Enormous uh, anger still lurking there in in a chap who's already, although very cheerful, rather a cross man. But uh, his is a special case. Now to the man parliamentary wags are saying has the axe factor. It's a competition to find cuts currently only the coalition want to enter. Next week, George Osborne will present his targets for snipping in his first ever budget. Last night, he had a little dress rehearsal. He clambered into black tie and tails and told the audience at the Mansion House that he was going to be giving regulatory powers back to the Bank of England. Here he is. No one was controlling levels of debt and when the crunch came, no one knew who was in charge. Now, some lessons have been learnt and some changes made, and I commend those who have led this process. But despite those changes, the government is still not confident that the fundamental problems of culture and regulatory structure have been confronted. How do we ensure, as you asked, Lord Mayor, less box-ticking and more exercise of judgment? What are the tools of macroprudential regulation and who should exercise them? Can the macroprudential regulator do their job if they don't have an intimate knowledge of what is happening in individual firms? Mike, listening to him, did you think, by Jove, he's got it, he knows how to sort out the city? 
Uh, well, he's entitled to his views, are my conclusion. Uh, we know that Gordon Brown's tripartite arrangement uh, didn't deliver satisfactorily when the banking crisis broke in the summer of 2007, uh, and they were slow to recognize problems at Northern Rock and uh, of uh, liquidity. The, 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 the whole access to money in the global banking system dried up once they realized they'd got so many rotten debts. Uh, that said, uh, Brown got half of the equation right in 1997, uh, taking monetary policy away from the Treasury, where Ken Clark had been sitting on interest rates in the desperate hope of winning the 97 election. That's been a good move. Uh, uh, as for Osborne's reforms, well, you can either say it's a good thing to do because it puts the Bank of England, the Governor of the Bank of England, entirely in charge, uh, and we know where the lines of responsibility lie, or you can say two things. One, that all the other regulatory systems in the major uh, uh, economic uh, states in the Western world failed also for similar reasons. They did not recognize the emerging problem. All the guns were pointing the wrong way. And secondly, you have to point out that Mervyn King, uh, the man who's been promoting these changes, had become pretty close to the Tory government, closer than he should have done, but he's had his reward last night. Mervyn King didn't have a very good war either. He was slow to respond to the crisis at Northern Rock, uh, and um, he was uh, also prattling on about moral hazard, in other words, the danger of, of rewarding people who screw up with enough money to bail them out so they go away and screw up again, well after he should have stopped and said, we need to rescue, we need to refinance the banks. Absolutely critical ju uh, uh, judgment, which Brown and Darling got right and Mervyn King got wrong. Jackie, moving to next Tuesday and this emergency budget, what, what do you dread from it? I think we've been led to dread absolutely everything, aren't we? I think this game of expect expectation uh, fueling is, is probably so that at least we come up and think, oh, there's three people left in work in the country. It wasn't so bad after all. Well done, George. Um, I think the overall worry, and we'll wait to see the detail of where it's going to come, but it has to be that the jobless total is just going to go sky high. I can't see any other way than that. Um, I think all public servants, civil servants, are going to feel the pinch, and that inevitably is going to mean job losses. And I think that's the real worry that that then does lead to uh, obviously much greater spending on unemployment benefit and double-dip recession. And possibly a VAT increase. Yes, I, I would be surprised if we don't see VAT going up. I think they've uh, made it Despite clear Despite Simon that Hughes's possible. best efforts. Yes, I would think so. Now, Tom, I know that there is only one game in town for you and it's the Labour leadership, but the Labour leadership don't have very much to say about this, do they? No, they don't. <laughs> You know, they're looking backwards rather than forwards at the moment, I think, a lot. Um, but Do they have anything to gain by saying anything on? Well, that's a difficult question because, you know, they don't have any control. They're not in power. They're not going to be making the decisions. And also they've actually got to create a platform based on what the Tories are going to do. And we don't yet know what the Tories are going to do. You know, the, the truth is on banking reform and cuts, you know, we, we haven't really seen what the government are going to do yet. You know, banking reform... Maybe he's right, maybe it's wrong, what he's done. But the reality is, is that the, the, the credit crunch was a result of, a, of, of an economic consensus, which George Osborne was in and Gordon Brown was in and Alistair Darling was in, that was across the Anglo-Saxon world. And are they going to regulate the financial sector in a different way beyond his speech? And, you know, that's what we played out between him and Vince Cable. And we don't know, it, it looks like it's going to be more a Tory direction than what sort of thing Vince Cable's been saying. You know, on the budget, I guess the big question on... on is is who, who, who who's it going to fall on? You know, who's going to do worse out of it? You know, if the big tax rise is going to be in fact, well, actually that falls on the poorest people in society, you know, who pay a greater proportion of their income spent on, on, on everyday shopping, mm. you know, the, than the richer. So 
you know, Labour have got to find their position, what they're going to oppose and what they're going to argue against and what they're going to accept, you know, so they look economically sensible and engaged in the big problem that's facing the country, but also so they look as if they are creating a critique of, of the Tories and the Lib Dems in power. Mike, you there in Westminster. The, the Lib Dems campaigned against a VAT increase. They, do you remember that poster with the big, the, the, the rip-off of the bombshell poster? How are they going to manage it if there is a VAT increase? Well, they're going to have to put up with it. They're in too deep now to get out in a hurry. I agree uh, with uh, uh, Jackie. I think there will be a VAT increase. Why? Because uh, the Tories always put up VAT and Labour, when it can, always puts up income tax. Uh, uh, one is regressive, the other is progressive. You can argue the toss about that. Uh, what worries me about all this is, you know, Alistair Darling, in a typically colourful phrase the other day, said, we're not out of the woods yet. Well, gosh, we're certainly not. And if George Osborne is rearranging uh, uh, the, regulation, the regulatory deck chairs uh, uh, in the next couple of years when the brown stuff hits the fan in Greece or in Spain or wherever it turns out to be, perhaps it's here, then, uh, you know, we may regret that. And we will certainly regret uh, excessive and deep and early cuts to the public expenditure side of the equation at a time when there's no evidence that the private sector, which is saving like Billio at the moment, is going to plunge in and invest and spend. Uh, we'll do what we did in the 1930s. We'll be on the way to recovery. And then the uh, the usual suspects, uh, the bankers and market opinion and the Treasury say, we've really got to cut the deficit. We've really got to cut the debt, the overdraft and the mortgage. And we plunge ourselves back into a recession and even worse. And you know where that ended the last time. And it's a bit scary. And I like to think George Osborne is too smart to believe what is actually preparing us for that he'll in some way manage to swerve well we all know just how smart or otherwise george osborne is by this time next week but for now that is all we have time for thanks to jackie ashley tom happold and michael white in a noisy westminster office the producer was phil maynard i'm allegra stratton and tom clark will be back to keep me company next week for another edition of politics weekly for now goodbye <laughs>